So a couple of evenings ago I left off um, with the line from the Pali English Dictionary saying that um, Nibbana is not a transcendent state, it's an ethical state. And I want to continue on from there, um, but actually I want to take a detour first <laughs> and um, go in a little bit of a different direction, but I think it's going to come back. I think it'll come back, come back to this. But I just want to make, before I, before I go into the detour, I just want to comment on, make a comment on, on, this, on this statement. And, and it's an important comment, and I, th- I think it's an obvious comment. But, um, but I think it's one that's, um, that's very often um, overlooked or um, questioned or um, not really believed. Um, and the, the, com- the comment is that what this statement is pointing at is that Nibbana is not some way out there state that we get to somehow by meditating. It's not, first of all, it's not something to get, but it's not detachment from the world. It's not getting into some altered state that brings us forever happiness, bliss, joy, spaciousness, lightness, ease, wealth, <laughs> whatever it is that you want it's an ethical state it's 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 a way of living ethically in the world it's very much a state of engagement with the world of connection with the world and i really want to impress this on you um so easily in the practice we get caught up in trying to get some state and so and 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 we easily we have an idea of what that state is and usually it involves some variation on bliss peace happiness joy <laughs> and um and sometimes magically in the in the meditation we get that Sometimes, actually, it's not that we get it, it's more it gets us. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes these experiences actually do happen for us. And when they happen for us, then it reinforces the idea. They're so wonderful. It reinforces the idea, ah, this is something I have to get. And here's the craving coming in, and the clinging, and the, the wanting mind Okay, so so be watchful for this in the practice. Be watchful for this in your in your meditation. Be watchful for it when you're sitting, trying to get a certain experience, or trying to get out of a certain experience. Be watchful for it when you're holding your arms up, and it's starting to ache, <laughs> and the pain is starting. Where's the bliss? What's the point of doing this? <laughs> All right, so detour. Um, so I, I began the other evening by um, 
with the, the, these, these, these statements. So the first statement that we do experience dukkha in our lives. And then the second statement that um, the cause of dukkha is craving and clinging. And the third statement was that the ending of craving and clinging is nibbana. And I think uh, a question a question that came to me many, many years ago, and um, and I I always have this hope that when people come to small group meetings or to individual meetings, they'll ask this question. It's it's a really important question, and 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 the question is if craving and clinging cause dukkha, why do we crave and cling? Why do we crave and cling? Why would we why would we want to crave and cling? And yet so much of our lives, so much of the way we live is craving and clinging. And so and and, and very often we we see, we feel the dukkha caused by it. And yet we persist in it. What's going on? <laughs> Why are we so crazy? Why do we keep banging our heads against the wall over and over and over and over again? So I'd like to try and um, try and give um, a kind of a, a description explanation of, of how this comes about. And it may it may seem a little bit philosophical, a little bit theoretical, but I think it provides the explanation provides a model that can help us in our inquiry, and that can help us in in giving some direction in what we're looking at in the practice. And some of it we've already spoken about in the um, in the instructions. We've actually already included some of this in the instructions, and and hopefully after this talk you can start to include a little bit more. So bringing bringing a, a kind of getting some direction in how to bring in a little more curiosity and a little more sense of inquiry and investigation into the practice. So it's not just so the, the 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 meditation is is much more than just sitting and being with whatever is showing. As I said earlier in the retreat, that's that's the foundation. But then it also requires taking interest in that, and that that taking interest is is really investigating, inquiring into, not investigating, inquiring into in the sense of thinking about and trying to figure out, but investigating, inquiring into, in the sense of having the, the kind of curiosity. It's like, um, it's like um, you know, a, little, a little kid crawling along the ground and, and seeing, um, I don't know, maybe like a, a praying mantis for the first time. And, and just crawling on the ground, and all of a sudden there's this thing there you've never seen before. No idea what it is, and just the 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 curiosity and the wonder and the the interest that it draws and that that kind of curiosity and that that interest 
holds the attention with it. And and from that holding the intention, then we start to see, oh, see how the legs work, we see how the colors in it change, we see how it turns around, and we start to understand it. We start to understand, to learn, and to understand something about it. Not by figuring it out. We can't figure it out because we've never seen it before. But just by being with it. And this is the value of just being with. But there has to be this, this, this curiosity, this inquiry, this, this interest. So there's a, there's a process that goes on. And, and I talked about it a little bit in regard to feelings. And I'm going to go, go through this process. And, um, and I'm going to use um, as the main example the sounds and the hearing just because it's the easiest it's the easiest one to kind of get to understand for most people so we're we're born we're, we we come into this life with a body okay we're born with a body and obviously with a mind some of us <laughs> some sort of a mind but we're born we're born with a body and the body has these sense organs, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, the tongue, the, the touch sense. And, and in, in, the, in the Buddha's teachings, the sixth sense of the mind. And, and as I mentioned, um, when did I mention it? This morning or yesterday? It's through these sense doors that we have our contacts with the world. Okay, our, our way of knowing the world, the world out there, as well as the world in here, is through these sense doors. We hear the world, we see the world, we touch it, we taste it, and we think about it. So we have these sense doors as part of the body. Okay, so we've been born, sense doors are here. There are other bodies in the world <laughs> that have come into being whether it's other people or trees or birds or grass or microphones or uh, any object, um, bells, water, water jugs. There are these, these other objects of the world. And what happens is, the, and, and this, this is, this is the, 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 the science part of it, these, these objects are... Um, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure if they're giving off or they're reflecting. I guess they're reflecting light. <laughs> they're reflecting light. And okay, so reflecting light. So it hits the eyes. So I see it. So sound. Okay. So there's um, the the rook up in the tree over here, and and this rook kind of opens his beak and, uh, and does something with his throat and. A sound wave goes through the air. Okay? It's just a vibration. A vibration moves through the air, and I'm sitting here trying to be quiet, trying to be still, trying to be with my breathing, and all of a sudden this sound wave hits my ear, and I'm just trying, sitting here trying to do nothing, just be, and this sound wave hits my ear, and it's, ah! 
the the instant that sound wave hits the ear, there's hearing. There's the hearing of the sound. Okay? The the hearing the hearing arises from the coming together of the sound wave, the object, and the ear. Okay? Now when I look at that, I see that I did not do that. I did not make that happen. It, it's a natural process. It just happens when the sound wave hits the ear, assuming that the ear is functioning. The sound wave hits the ear. There's hearing. Okay? Anyone, everyone agree with that? Has anyone had to make themselves hear the ka ka ka? <laughs> okay? It's just a natural process. And um, similarly with the light waves reflecting off this bell or this microphone, they hit the eye, assuming the eye is open and functioning. Seeing happens. I don't have to do anything to make that happen. Okay? And similarly, once the food gets in the mouth, you know, I do something to put the food in the mouth, but once the food, the food contacting the tongue, there's taste. I don't have to make that happen. It just happens because of that coming together. Okay? And similarly, with all of the sense doors. Process the hearing, just the bare fact of hearing, the bare fact of seeing, of tasting, of smelling, of touch feeling. You know, my finger comes in contact with the object, and there's touch, there's a sensation, there's a physical sensation. I don't have to do anything to make that happen. It it happens. It has to happen. And thinking. Thinking is a difficult one. Thinking's a difficult one. Thinking it takes it takes a, a, a lot of a lot of stillness and silence and quietness of mind and and and, and clarity and brilliance of awareness to to be able to to really get what's happening with thinking. But thinking, is, it's, it really, what it is, is just like a, a bubble of energy kind of moves through the being and it strikes the brain. <laughs> the brain is the sense door and it becomes thinking. Thinking happens. That's basically what happens. And the thinking happens. And I am sure we have all experienced in these t- days together that we don't have to do anything to make thinking happen. <laughs> it's quite capable of doing itself, thank you. <laughs> okay? The thinking happens when that contact with the brain happens. So these processes of of hearing, tasting, smelling, touching, um, 
What are the other ones thinking? Missed something there. Anyway, these processes, they're just natural processes. So what happens here, this this thinking, this hearing, this seeing, this tasting, this smelling, this touch sensation, in the in in the Buddha's language, these these events, these events, just the bare events, are called consciousness. It's just that bare fact of knowing. There's a consciousness, a hearing consciousness. It's we could say it's it's we could, we could say it's it's consciousness, it's knowing of the sound. But at this point, it's not even knowing of the sound. It's just knowing. It's just hearing. It's just seeing. It's just tasting. It's just touching, and so on. So the the consciousness the consciousness arises out of this coming together of the the sound wave and the ear. Okay, they come together, consciousness arises. What happens what happens consequent on that? And and, and this process, this this whole process happens so fast <laughs> that it seems like it's just one event happening. It seems like it's just one, but again, in in with, with the meditation, when when there's a real settling into stillness and silence and 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 openness and um, the and the mind not reaching for or pushing away, but really just being open to what's happening, this process slows down. Or at least the perception, the the perception, the knowing changes in a way that it's able to perceive. It's like um, I, I, there was um, you, baseball isn't so big here in Britain, is it? But you all you're all somewhat familiar. Cricket, okay, we could say cricket, but it's but there was um, a baseball player a number of years ago, and um, he um, he was on a on a real streak, and he had just this phenomenal hitting record. He was just like he was hitting almost every ball that was pitched at him. His batting average was was way beyond what uh, what what's expected of the top players. And I heard him being interviewed and um and he he said he said they, the the interviewer asked how can you do it? And and he said in the he said he said that when he's at the plate and he's holding the bat and he's watching, he said he's so focused on the ball that the ball is coming at him and it's hardly moving. And because it was hardly moving, he had all the time he needed to line up that bat. The focus, the stillness, the quietness was so deep that the whole process slowed down. Happens in other cases. How many, I've been in this situation, how many others have been in a situation in, in, a, in a car accident and everything slows down and you see it coming and there's nothing you can do about it it's happening in slow motion but there's nothing you can do about it it's just the 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 focus is so steady 
and there's nothing else impinging on the mind, and the whole process just slows down, and you can see it moment by moment by moment by moment by moment. And so one of the one of the great gifts of, of the meditation is this slowing down so there's this ability to actually know these processes as they're happening. These processes that normally happen so fast that there's no idea what's going on at all. So this sound wave hits the ear, the hearing consciousness arises, and what happens from that? So the 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 um, again in the technical language, the combination of the um, the sound wave, the object, the sense door, and the consciousness, the combination of these three, this is contact. So if any of these are missing, there's no contact, obviously. Okay. So this is how we contact the world when these three things are present the object, the sense door, and the consciousness. From the contact, from the contact, two things happen very quickly. Very quickly. One thing is um, um, an aspect of the mind which the Buddha called perception. And perception is, it's exactly that. It's it's the, 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 the quality of mind, the aspect of mind that perceives. It perceives an object. And it doesn't only perceive it, but it gives it a name. And it does this because a part, or it's able to do this because an aspect of perception is memory. So when this when the when the contact happens very quickly the memory comes in and based on the memory the perception happens and it perceives the object and gives it a name and names it bird okay crow no rook <laughs> So what's what's happening what's what's happening along with this quite imperceptibly is that in in identifying the object in locating the object and identifying the object out there if there's an object out there that's being perceived then there must be something perceiving it and so while perception is creating that object out there, at the same time, it's creating me here perceiving it. Perception separates that which occurred by coming together. Okay, you following? Okay. So now the perception is one of me here and the bird out there. And what goes along with that is I'm seeing the bird. And it gives the impression that 
I'm doing something, or I'm hearing the bird, it gives the impression that I'm doing something to make that hearing happen, that I'm in control of this. Okay, that's part of the perception. And at the same time, it's part of the deception. I'm in control. And then the other thing that's happening at the same time as all this is arising out of this contact is the feeling, the feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, which is also, which is, which is affected by the perception because it's affected by memory. The feeling tone is affected by past experiences by how how that contact has happened in the past and how we've how we've perceived it in the past and so the feeling tone arises out of the contact along with the perception and the two kind of come together and create i like that or i don't like that And it's reinforced because this perception is so strong, the perception of separateness is so strong that it overwhelms the knowing of the coming together. It's, um, it's, 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 it's very much this... This, um, this book that Brad referred to the other evening uh, by the... Um, the brain um, researcher Jill Bolt Taylor, the the left and right brain thing. It's it's so related. I mean, her her insights from having this hemorrhage were so coincidental with with the the Dharma insights and with the Buddha's insights. So so to put it in her context, I would say that the 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 consciousness. The knowing of this coming together is the right brain. The knowing of non-separateness. The perception of the separateness is the left brain. The left brain function. And our left brains have become so dominant and we've been conditioned so strongly to believe the the left brain that the perception of separateness overwhelms the consciousness of non-separateness. And it overwhelms it so much that we believe that's how it is. And we, if we believe that's how it is, and the perception is that I'm here and it's out there and I don't like that, then if I'm in control, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to find some way either to keep it away, put in earplugs, or go into some very deep meditative state so I don't hear it at all, or sit there grumbling, why don't they chop down that tree and chase away the birds? And 
come up with all these ideas about how to do something about it. And and this, in turn, has the effect of reinforcing and solidifying the sense of me, and particularly me in control. And once there's a me, I like to be in control. And the way I'm in control, the way I can be in control, is by protecting myself, defending myself, pushing things away, getting what I like, getting that which will make me feel better, or trying to get that which will make me feel better. And all of this is, as I I spoke about... um, I can't even remember when. I guess it was in the last talk. I, if, if you remember, I um, I talked about the definition of dukkha, and I, I mentioned how the Buddha said that that kind of the the summary, what's beneath all the dukkha, is the clinging to the self, and this is the clinging to the self. We cling to self in order to 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 build up self, to perpetuate self, to solidify self, to to rationalize self, to to prove to ourselves and to others that here we are, here I am, this is me. And it's all based on this perception of Separateness. And because of the separateness, if I like it, it's out there and I have to get it. If I don't like it, I have to keep it away or get rid of it. And it's all to, it's all forms of clinging to this, this perception of me as being separate from. This is where the craving and the clinging come from. And because we believe in this this me, we believe in the solidity of this me, we believe in the <clears throat> the continuity of this me, we believe in it so much that we um, we don't even think about our aging sickness and death. We somehow go along on an assumption that we'll always be around. We 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 perpetuate this and we believe it to be how it is and so we live in this world feeling separate from feeling apart from feeling cut off from and yet there's a part of us the right brain there's a part of us that knows differently and i think so much of um, <clears throat> so much of what we of of how we are in the world, coming out of this separateness, is actually our feeble attempts, our feeble attempts to somehow kind of get back to that knowing of connection. that knowing of non-separateness. 
and the non the non separateness. If we if we pay attention, the non separateness shows every time we hear a sound. The perception is the sound is out there, but all you have to do is think about it. Where's the hearing taking? The hearing isn't out there. The hearing is in here, 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 here. Every time we see something, it's connection. Every time we taste something, it's a connection. Every time we think about something, it's connection. Even when we're thinking, even when we're thinking that we're not connected. Even when the mind says, I'm not connected, I'm disconnected. Just the fact that it's thinking about it shows that there's connection. When I'm really angry at somebody and I feel so cut off from that person and and it's just, you did this and you said that and I said this and you should have done that and why didn't you do that? And, and there's such a strong sense of disconnection. But if there wasn't connection, how could there be any kind of a relationship. You know, there's a relationship here. There's a relationship of, of anger, of not liking. There has to be connection for that to happen. When we look closely, every contact that we have, whether pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, shows us our connection. So we don't have to turn off the left brain. We don't have to stop the perceptions. In fact, the perceptions are quite useful. The perception of separateness is very useful at times. It's very functional. So it's not about stopping that. It's not about saying, well, there's something wrong with that perception, there's a problem with it, because when they have that perception, I don't feel connected. There's not a problem with it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not the whole picture. It's just the perception. And, and the, the degree of, to a large extent, the degree of dukkha that we experience is proportional to the degree that we believe the perception to be the truth of how it is. In the belief we hold on to that, we hold on to that perception. And in holding on to the perception, we're holding on to me, me, me. And, and it makes me the center of the world. And the whole world is out there. And then either I have to get it or I have to keep it away. It's somewhere out there, so I keep reaching out for it. Or pushing it away. Go away, go away. This is dukkha. 
And so the, 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 the understanding of this process, and again, not an intellect, we can understand it intellectually, and it's useful to understand it. It's useful to have an, inter- an intellectual understanding. But I think it's useful, as I said, to have it as a, a kind of a model to sort of guide us in, in kind of how to look for, what kinds of questions to ask. So, so questions, you know, so questions like, is the sound out there or is it in here? Just to ask that question and then just listen and see. When I turn the attention, when I open the attention, when I open my awareness to a sensation in the body or, or to the breathing, is my awareness going to the breathing or is the breathing coming to my awareness or is it something else? Just to ask the question and then just sit and pay attention and see, how is it? It's just coming to me. How many? How many have had the experience? Just, 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 and the, the mind is just going back to this whole, this whole idea of I'm the one who's doing it. I'm the one who's making it happen. I'm the one who's in control. How many have had the experience of sitting mindful of the breathing? And there's a sense of okay, here I am. I'm, I'm feeling the breathing, and then at some point it's like a switch goes. And all of a sudden, it's just the body breathing. How many have had? How many have had that experience? Not doing anything. There isn't even a me to do or not do. It's just the body breathing. How many have had the experience? And um, I, I would guess some of you have. Maybe all of you. How many have had the experience in the qigong? Been doing the qigong, you know, for at least three days now, some of you for many years. How many have had the experience of arm go up, arm come down, arm go up, arm come down, and at some point, it just starts doing itself. It's completely effortless. It's not, there's no doing involved at all. Maybe a, probably a, an even more common one. How many have had the experience doing the walking meditation and you, you start, you take a step, you take another step, and then the attention just goes off, gone, gone, some other realm, but the body keeps walking. <laughs> Who's doing it? Who's doing it? And that's a good question to ask. Who's hearing? Who's seeing? Who's tasting? Again, don't try to answer it. Just pay attention. Pay attention. Take interest. Open to the experience. Be present in the experience. And and see what shows. This... um, 
and 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 coming coming to this understanding when we when we come to this understanding and really in a very deep and profound way to come to this under or to have this understanding come to us or is it either of those or is it just a coming together and the understanding arises the understanding that the the perception of separateness is just the perception. And the understanding, the, the very deep and profound understanding of connection, it's, it's, it's really from, from this connection, from this, this knowing of connection, this knowing of non-separateness, from, from this place arises naturally without any doing, without any practice, without even any intention, from this place arises metta. From this place arises compassion. From this place arises joy. Not me doing it. Just metta, just the flow of metta, just the flow of compassion, just the flow of joy. And this is where this whole process comes back to the ethics, the ethical life. And so the we so we we have these practices we have this this we have the metta practice and and a really valuable practice a really important practice and and it is a practice for developing for cultivating it's a practice for 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 guiding us for directing us for taking us in a particular direction and so it's almost like it's a starting point like I mentioned how the Buddha starts the teaching by teaching about ethics. But it's also, in a sense, it's also, it's it's the finishing point. It's the culmination. It's the outcome of the understanding. It's the outcome of the wisdom. And so it becomes, becomes a cycle becomes a cycle and just goes round and round and the and the understanding grows and grows and grows and the metta grows and grows and the compassion grows and grows and all this just from asking a question and paying attention being present being open Just give one 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 story, one story that very powerfully demonstrates this. Um, I was teaching a course, and um, one of the classes there there was a there was a woman in the class who was just full of anger. This woman was just rage personified. He, her the tone of her voice was always anger. 
her body language, her face was red all the time. She and and she talked. She talked whenever she talked. It was about her family in just the nastiest terms. This this woman was just anger directed at her family. And one of the classes we were doing a visualization. I was I was giving them a visualization of of, of being a mountain. And the visualization is you visualize yourself as being a mountain, firmly anchored in the ground. You know, really solid, a solid, firm base, and and reaching up to the sky at the same time, and and just being solid, being steady through snowstorms and blizzards and hailstorms and burning hot sun and wild animals running around on you and people climbing all over you, and you're just steady. So I gave him this visualization, and. A couple of days later, the phone rings, and it says, woman, she says, I can't do this visualization. I just can't do it. I, I just can't relate to that mountain. It's just not who I am. And I said to her, well, there's lots of different kinds of mountains. What kind of mountain are you? <laughs> and, and she thought, oh, okay. And said, okay, thanks, and hung up. And she came back the next week to the class, and she came up to me before the class, and she said, I'm a volcano. (laughs) And she went on to tell me that she connected with being a volcano, and she said she sat down, and she visualized herself as a volcano. And she let herself be the volcano. And she said, I started to feel the lava coming up inside me. And I could feel it coming up through my body. And as it came up, wherever it contacted inside my body was burning. It was just on fire. It was so painful. It was burning, burning. And she said, but I just sat with it and I was able to just open to it and I let it just come. And I just stayed with this burning. And she said, and I started sweating and I felt like screaming, but I just stayed with it and it came up. And she said, it got up into my head and my whole body was on fire and it like it, it blew out the top. <laughs> and the lava started flowing down and she said, now the outside of my body was burning too. It's like all my skin was on fire and this lava was burning and running down the side. And she said it was setting all the forest on fire. And and she said it got lower and lower down and then it started burning up houses. And she said it was just terrible and I just stayed with it. And then she said, and then I saw it burning up my family. And she said, the instant I saw that, I got that my anger was burning myself and my family, and the fire went out. The power, the transforming power of just being steady with and being open to. So let's sit together quietly for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash 
donate.